morning, everyone. So glad that you've chosen to be with us today. I'm really excited about today because we're going to be starting a new series, and we're calling it Establish for a very good reason, in that it's built on some Bible study material that we've created for new believers. We wanted an opportunity to take you through the material that people who have just come to Christ, that you would actually be taking them through, through this 31-day devotional called Establish. And we're really excited about this. It is a, uh, it provides an opportunity for people to, as soon as they come to Christ, that they can already start reading the Bible and get into God's Word right from kind of day one. <clears throat> now, the way that it works is that each day has three parts to it. They read a portion of Scripture. There's a reflection on that, some comments on what that Scripture means. And then they have an opportunity to respond. And there's three questions in that response. The first two questions are just their own thoughts and reflections on the passage. But the third question is called a coach's question. And what this does, because it's an app that we've created, when they answer that third question, an email gets sent to the person who led them to Christ, who's discipling them, and they get to then respond to that question via email. Also, when the, uh, when the two people get together, they can talk through all of those questions, but it's a great way to provide uh, input, support, even accountability for people who have just come to Christ and for those who are discipling them to kind of be able to keep track of how things are going and have ongoing uh, input even uh, beyond being able to meet together. So we're really excited about the material and we thought what better way to uh, acquaint you with the material than to go through it in a sermon series. So we're going to be spending the next 31 Sundays going through uh, Establish. And what this will do is take us from, the, uh, from Genesis right through to Revelation and give kind of a, a bird's eye perspective on what the Bible teaches. If you can think of life like a puzzle, it's really hard to complete a puzzle if you don't have the the, the front cover, the, the box that shows you what the picture is supposed to look like. And so that's what Establish is designed to do. It gives you the overarching theme of Scripture, what God wants for our lives, covering all the major topics, so that you can see how all the different parts of your life fit in to that grand story. So today we're starting in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading out of Genesis, a little bit out of Revelation, and then making some uh, comments on what God would want to say to us uh, from his word. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a profound statement that could summarize, depending on what you believe about um, the history of the world could summarize billions of years or, you know, thousands of years, just depending on where you, you stand with all of that. But regardless of the length of time, which scripture does not actually refer to, it just says God created the heavens and the earth. How he created it, uh, the book of Genesis, and really the Bible itself isn't really that interested in it. The Bible is more interested in who did it than how it was done. And so, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then in verse 26, it says, when it came time to create humanity, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So what is the image of God that we're made in? It's in our image or an us image, meaning a relational image. The most distinctive characteristic of humans is our capacity to relate to God and to one another. We're not merely creatures of instinct. We're able to make choices based on our free will to engage with God and with others. It's what makes us human. At the end of this period of creation, God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good, including you and I. So our our most basic essential nature is relational, and that relational nature God would describe as very good. Now, that's how the whole story starts. God makes us to be in relationship with him. Now, look how it ends in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now God's presence is with people, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. Wow. You have the story begins with a desire that I'm going to make you in my image to be in relationship with me and with others. And now we see that the end of the story, that his desire is fulfilled that we are able to live in harmony with God. He will wipe er away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain, because all the old ways are gone. So God succeeds in his original purpose to create a people for himself that he can be in relationship with, and we will be able, as we have responded to him through this life, we will then be able to enjoy eternity with him forever. So here's the summary then of the of the big story that is described in the Bible. We were created. That already is a big deal. We didn't just uh, evolve from natural forces. God created us. And all creators always have a purpose. There's nobody that goes through the energy of creating without having a purpose in mind. God's purpose was relationship. He created us for a relationship with him and with one another. And as we read at the end, his purpose will be fulfilled. He will walk among us. He will be our God and we will be his people. Wow. I can hardly wait for the fulfillment of that. And the result will be what the Bible describes as shalom. Uh, It's a peace that is a relational harmony where Everyone and everything is working in perfect harmony with one another. First with God, then with one another, including creation itself. That there will be a a beautiful harmony that will be the pinnacle of creation. Of why God created us. So, do you have any questions about that? I mean, it's really clear what's going on. Well, we can have at least three reactions to it. It can seem really straightforward. Great, I know what I'm created for and I know what's going to happen in the end. And, and um, uh, you know, how do we respond to that? Well, we can respond in at least three ways. The first is to be disobedient and to say, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to cooperate with that. 
I don't like that purpose. I'm not really interested in the ending. I would rather choose my own path. I, I, I won't participate. I won't cooperate. Romans 1.21 describes all of us in that state at one point, where it says that although we know God, we knew God, and that's true about all creation, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Uh, at one point, I think that we all think that we know better and that we have a better plan and purpose for our life. And we don't want to follow what God says. We think that we know what's best for us. And so we try to carve out our own path through this journey we call life. That can be the first group of people. The second reaction can really be discouragement. And this is, yeah, I, it sounds like a good idea, and I, I, I'd like to be able to cooperate, but I feel as though I can't. It's not that I won't, it's I feel like I can't. Matthew 25, 25 describes someone like this, who the, it's, a, it's a parable where God gave purpose, really, to people. He gave them uh, some money to, to put to, to good use. And the person, one of the people who was given some resources to be able to steward, said at the end of it, uh, I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. Here's what belongs to you. I, I, I just couldn't live up to the expectations of what you put on me. Uh, the responsibility that you gave me didn't feel like good news. It didn't feel like, wow, I have a destiny and meaning and purpose. It just felt like pressure. And I feel like I can't live up, God, to your expectations of me. Now, that's a large group of people, isn't it? It's, uh, I often go there. I, I can be disobedient and say I won't. But other times, I feel like I can't. I just don't feel like it's within me to do all that God has called me to do. The final group that we uh, will look at today is a group that's distracted. It's not I won't, and it's not I can't. It's uh, yes, but. It's yeah, I mean, sure, it's a good idea, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, and I'm not sure that I can get around to it. 1 John 2.16 says, talks about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that there are kind of sparkly things that distract us from the plans and purposes of God. It's kind of like how Scott Neufeld uh, talked a, a few weeks ago about junk food, where you kind of get this sugar rush. And we, when we live in the now, when we live in the moment, we're kind of uh, distracted by whatever fleshly desires are found inside of us, and we feel the need to immediately satisfy them. And so it's junk food where you get a sugar rush, and you, you get a great high, but then you get a crash. And this can be really how we live our life, isn't it? That we kind of run after one appetite after another, hoping to get the satisfaction that we're desiring for, but in a way that puts us in control, in a way that's about immediate gratification and not about something that has a long-term vision attached to it. And so we, we want what God would want for us, but it just seems to be such a, a long game, such a, a, a faraway uh, realization that we find ourselves being distracted by our own fleshly appetites and desires, whether it be for fame and recognition or personal satisfaction, uh, money, whatever it would be, that we, we just don't have the patience 
to get something more long-term we're living for today. So what's God's response to these different reactions to his plans and purposes for our life? Well, we find in the book of uh, 2 Timothy that Paul is writing to Timothy. <clears throat> and um, Paul is saying to Timothy, there's a call of God on your life. There are plans and purposes that God has given you. And he, he, this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 7, regarding that calling. He says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Another word for that is shy. Now, what this is talking about is not so much that Paul is suggesting that, um, that Timothy is a coward or somehow insecure. What he's talking about in this timidity is a withdrawal from our calling. What the Spirit of God, who the Spirit of God is, is not somebody who has us withdraw from our calling, but actually has it fulfilled. And so when the Spirit of God comes into our life, he enables us to fulfill the calling that God has given us, most generally to be in a right relationship with him and others, and specifically, certain things that he has given us to do toward that general end. So, for the spirit God gave us does not make us withdraw from our calling, but gives us three things. Power, love, and self-discipline. Now, when I originally uh, read these words, it kind of sounded like a to-do list, that I should find some bravado, I should become a loving person, and then be super self-disciplined. And it didn't really sound like God gave me anything. It was more something that I was supposed to manufacture. But what these three things are actually qualities of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is power. The Holy Spirit is love. And the Holy Spirit is self-discipline. We really have to unpack that last um, phrase because the, uh, it, it needs to be understood. But let's go through all three of these. First of all, God's Spirit is power. So, if we think about the first reaction that we can have to God's purpose for our life, to be disobedient to that, God responds to the disobedient. He comes to the disobedient in power. Now, what does this mean? I'd like to use the analogy of, uh, because the, the, the Spirit of God is described as wind. Um, so, uh, imagine yourself, uh, those of you who ride road bikes, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get this immediately. Um, I'm more of a mountain biker, so I'll pray for you road cyclists that you'll, you know, get revelation for the ultimate kind of biking. <laughs> Just teasing. But okay, so imagine you're, you're uh, riding on the road. Now, uh, I often ride my, uh, my bike out to, to UBC. And it's very interesting. There's a stretch that's just really quite flat, but it, it really depends which way the wind is blowing as to how easy that stretch of road is. When the wind is blowing against you, it is hard work. It's kind of flat, but the wind just feels like you're going up a steep hill. But if the wind is blowing in the other direction, it's the most enjoyable, you know, fun time to have on a road bike is going along that stretch of road. Our life is a lot like that. 
that the, the wind of the Spirit is the power of God. And when you're cooperating with that power, it's beautiful. But when you're resisting that power, it's life is a hard go. And this is what's described in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It says, God is opposed to the proud. His wind pushes against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you or I are proud and wanting to live life on our own terms, in our own way, doing what we want, when we want, we are going to experience a resistance from God. Now, if you find yourself in that kind of time, that's super uh, upsetting for you, isn't it? It's, uh, why are you against me, God? I would follow you if you were on my side, but you're not on my side. Things stop. Just when I think everything's going to go great and something really good happens and something really bad happens. And why would I ever trust in a God who opposes me? God comes to us in power. And I think what we would like is him to kind of come to us as a good guy. And he would come to the disobedient or when we're disobedient, and he would say, oh, you know, I know that you're trying your best, and I know that it's hard to see me. I know I'm invisible. And so, uh, you know, I'm fully understanding if you, if you doubt my existence. And, and, uh, but don't worry, I'll just come alongside you and, and, and try to help you see just that I really am a good guy and I really am on your side. Uh, it's so fascinating to me that God actually does the opposite of that toward the proud, toward the disobedient. There's actually resistance that the very wind of the Spirit that would enliven us and fulfill God's purposes in our life is actually experienced as resistance when we're going in the wrong direction. So the way to experience the life-giving power of God is simply to repent, to turn around, to cooperate with the plans and purposes of God. And as you do, you'll find the very wind that resisted you is now blessing you because you've turned your life around and are now cooperating with the wind of the Spirit and with the purposes of God. So if you find right now in your life that you feel as though resistance is coming your way, God would invite you to repent, to turn around, and to follow his plans and purposes, not your own. And as you follow his plans and purposes, you're going to find the wind of grace being at your back, pushing you in the direction that God has designed for your life. The second uh, description of God's spirit is love. Not only is he all-powerful, that word there, by the way, is dunamis, where we get the, the word dynamite. I mean, that's power, and you don't want to resist that power. But the second uh, description is love, pure agape love. So to the discouraged, if we can say how he approaches the, the disobedient is with power, to the discouraged, he comes in love. Well, this is beautiful, isn't it? That what he does to the discouraged is he doesn't say, you know, buck up and try harder. He comes in love. But now listen to what love is. If you've been part of ENV for a while, you'll know what love is. We've, we talk about it a lot. That love is a motive. It's a motive 
of doing something for the benefit of others. So when God comes toward us in love, he comes toward us for our benefit. There is nothing selfish about God. He always comes for us. Even when he says to glorify his name, he says that for our benefit, so that we wouldn't worship gods that are not worthy of our devotion. So, as he comes towards us in his love, we find his affection and his mercy and his kindness there. But listen to what love is. Love isn't just, uh, that motive isn't just given towards us in the sense of, I'm going to love you. It's an invitation into that love, which means that I'm going to call you to love others. As we freely receive, we freely give. And so as he comes towards us with this free gift of love, as we bathe ourselves in the love of God, we find ourselves loving others. To be, lift out of, to be lifted out of discouragement is first to receive a love, but to have that love so received that we now become loving ourselves and give that love away to others. Um, the most effective way to come out of discouragement is to love someone other than yourself. What you'll notice, and I, I, I get discouraged often, and I notice that if I just kind of think that I need to receive the first half of the love, kind of the, the, the receiving of, of mercy, if that's all that's going on, I actually find that my discouragement doesn't get lifted. It's only as I receive that love to such an extent that I turn my attention from being self-focused to other-focused that I find that my discouragement lifts. Because what is at the heart of my discouragement? Me. I mean, I look at who I am and, and it's just discouraging. I look at how other people, you know, respond to me. Well, that's also discouraging. Like as soon as my eyes are taken off of God, life gets discouraging really quickly. And so in this gap between Genesis and Revelation, when my eyes move off of God onto who I am or who the people around me are, I immediately become discouraged. But as I see him in his love and receive his love and, and uh, by his power give that love away to others and love others for their benefit, I find that my discouragement lifts. So, if you find yourself in a place right now where you're feeling discouraged, what needs to change is our eyesight, is how we see God and who he is for us. Um, I was listening to Dallas Willard. Um, he gave some lectures a number of years ago uh, at Regent College, and I've listened to these lectures now a number of times because I, I, I'm just so... Oh, overwhelmed by the truth that I receive through his teaching. It's just so powerful. But he tells the story of doing some marriage counseling. And he says, uh, you know, every once in a while you hear somebody describe something in a way that becomes unforgettable. And he was listening to the wife describe uh, her marriage. 
And he says, the only thing that my husband and, my, and I have in common is we both love the same person. <laughs> and, and what that means is, is that she loves him and he loves him. <laughs> that was the only thing they have in common. Uh, I just thought that was such a, a, a poetic way of describing something that's very, very sad. Discouragement is a sign of self-love. And the more I look inside myself, or I look inside of the human heart of someone else, I just get discouraged. And love takes me out of a self-focus, where I receive from him, not just inside of me, and I give to others, it's not about me. If you're discouraged, freedom is found in relationship in freely receiving and freely giving the love of God by his spirit. So, God's spirit is power, God's spirit is love, and finally, God's spirit is self-control. We're going to have to unpack this, but let me begin by saying that to the distracted, so we talked about the disobedient, the discouraged, and the distracted. To the distracted, what God gives, who God is, is a better desire. Here's how this word that's translated self-control or uh, self-discipline or just control, here's what the word means. It's It's a sentence that's a little bit thick, but it describes something that's very powerful. This is what a scholar described it as. It's a controlling energy, so that's the power of God, the presence of his spirit, It's a controlling energy which keeps a constant reign on all the foolish passions and desires that we have. So what the Spirit of God does inside of us is he gives us the ability to stay toward certain desires and resist other desires. He gives us the ability to have self-control, but it's not grinning and bearing it. It's I have a greater desire, and I'm able to stay focused on that desire. Even as other things come to distract me, I can stay focused on that greater good. And the sparkly things in life, the, uh, the junk food that comes my way, I'm able to say no to that because I have a greater appetite. As, as Scott Newfeld talked about a few weeks ago, it's not just about... Uh, Self-control isn't about starvation. It's about uh, enjoying a greater feast. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So what uh, what the Spirit of God gives to us is a hope for the deepest fulfillments of our longings. That we have been made in the image of God, and that image is for relationship, for deep and profound connection with God and then with others. That's our greatest appetite. It's our greatest longing. And so the Spirit of God comes and gives us the grace to resist fleeting the fleeting pleasures of sin that actually fill us with garbage and steal away our hunger for God. And instead, the Spirit of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, Let your hunger remain 
for what, you, for what your heart most longs for. And the Spirit of God gives us grace to say no to the lust of the eyes, to the boastful pleasures of life about what we have and do, um, to sensuality, that we say no to those things because of a greater appetite, a greater desire. The Spirit of God has come to you not to call you to starvation, but to satisfaction, deep, rich contentment. As we trust in the presence of God in our life, we're able to say no to the things that uh, give us a quick high and then a deep low. We're able to stay persevering in a direction toward a morality, which is really love, that, it, that provides the deepest satisfaction for our hearts. So let's conclude. God made us for relationship, not just tasks. When you think of what the plans and purposes of God are, it's not so much about your career or about who you marry. It's about, uh, it's about love and relationship with him and others. And that can happen regardless of the career you're in, even regardless of who you marry or don't marry. That God has made us for love and relationship. This is our primary purpose. So God says to you this morning, don't resist that purpose. Don't resist it. Don't make it about you. And don't, don't chase after sparkly things. Don't chase after a career or sensuality or things that look like they'll satisfy, but they're far too short-sighted to ever meet the needs of your heart. Receive instead, God says to you, receive instead my power. Don't resist my power. Flow with my power. Let my power be uh, at your back, moving you towards my plans and purposes. Don't be disobedient. Don't be proud and rebellious. Cooperate with me. And you'll find the, the resistance that you feel will actually become blessing. And, uh, and a power that brings grace. So receive my power. Receive my love. Don't make life about you. Receive from me. Don't just try to find it inside of yourself. Receive from me. Learn how to receive from me. This is one of the most difficult things that I've had to learn in life, is how to receive free gifts from God. Receive from me. And then let that love overflow into blessing others. Don't walk into moments seeing uh, what you can get out of those moments. Make moments about love. That's what my spirit has put in you. Trust that. Cooperate with my love. And then receive my desires. Did you know that God can actually change your desires to be his desires? I pray this all the time. Oh, Father, let me desire what you desire. I want to desire what my flesh desires. That just brings death and destruction, alienation, the opposite of love and relationship. I want your desires. And so I rest in the presence of God and I receive his desires. I receive them by faith. God can actually change your emotions. You don't have to be a slave to your emotions. He can change them by the power of his spirit. So as we, get, we, we begin 
this journey looking at scripture of of who God has called us to be, what we see from the very outset is as we're Christians, we have received the love, uh, the power, and the desires to see that original design become personally fulfilled in our life. Can we just spend a minute and just thank God for that? Father, I thank you so much that you didn't just give us plans and purposes. You gave us your spirit through which we can find the fulfillment of those things. And so today, we, uh, with great gratitude, we receive your spirit. We receive your power, your love, your desires that meet the deepest longings of our heart. We, we repent of our resistance of you, of making it about us, of following fleeting passions and lusts. And we now receive the infilling of your spirit today. Let yourself, by faith, receive his infilling now. And we say thank you, not just for giving us a purpose, but for fulfilling that purpose through your spirit. We love you. We worship you. And it is our greatest joy and delight to be with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, meditate on these things this week. And as you, as you go through life going, am I distracted? Am I discouraged? Am I disobedient? And receive instead the grace of God and watch where his spirit takes you.